This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first and second seasons, there's plenty of content worth a listen, with conversations and advice about divorce, injury claims and business partnerships. There are also some excellent episodes where you'll hear from local charities and learn about the amazing work they do. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, solicitors Brian Evans and Andy Pegg discuss the mediation process. They both have a wealth of experience. Brian has been mediating and Andy has been representing clients in mediations for over 15 years. The courts do strongly encourage parties to undergo mediation as part of settling disputes. They talk about the pros and cons of online mediation and meetings in person and how having a third party mediator as part of the process can help resolve disputes. I'm Brian Evans and I'm joined today by Andy Pegg, who's the head of our dispute resolution department. And we're here to talk about mediation. We come from this, I suppose, from different standpoints. Um, Andy's a, a litigator and represents clients in mediation, whereas I'm a mediator. So I, I take the role of the neutral individual who's there to try and help the parties negotiate and resolve their disputes in a way that works for all of them. So we thought we'd start off just by explaining a little bit about what mediation is. It's a process where a neutral individual is engaged to meet with the parties and their representatives and has a series of meetings with them to clarify the issues, to challenge them and to help the parties test the strength of their cases, hopefully to find some common ground and to discuss settlement. When I trained as a mediator, very much the the model that I was given is that you start with a a joint session uh, where all the parties have their say in front of the others and then you split up into private meetings uh, later on. And I thought it'd be interesting to start with to get Andy's take on private meetings and joint sessions and whether the joint sessions are actually something that he finds value in. Joint sessions aren't, aren't something that I particularly like doing. And I think they are something that are dying out over time. I think, yeah, when, when I started doing mediations going back 10, 15 years ago, some to what you were saying, they used to be the norm and you would, you would almost always have a joint session. But I think now there tends to be a lot more done ahead of the mediation in terms of getting the position statement set out but also I think a lot more thought goes into what's the not so much more thought but what's the best way to achieve what we want to do which is get into settlement discussions and have the right basis for those settlement discussions and it tends to be the case that getting everyone together and letting them uh, have their say and say what they don't like about the other person before they get into negotiation doesn't always set the right tone for the mediation or the negotiation and so yeah I think joint sessions are something that I think are dying out now and not something that I, that I like using. I'd agree with that I can't remember the last time I did a joint session uh, I, I think you know if the parties have, have exchanged documents to start with with their basic positions in them to help the mediator understand where they're coming from there's very little point in having a joint session because what it tends to be is just a rehash of what they've already said in writing and you know it doesn't move the process forward and actually it can move it back because, you know, you hear stuff that you don't like and, and, and it just, you know, gets people's backs up from the get-go. So I'm inclined just to start with seeing the parties privately, explaining what my role is as a mediator um, and then getting into the detail. One of the things that I always 
talk to the parties about in terms of my role is that actually I'm not there as a judge. I'm not there to tell them that they're going to win at trial or not win at trial. I'm not there to advise them about the merits of their case. I'm there as somebody who is going to hopefully help them to focus on aspects of their case, to think about problem areas, to think about possible solutions um, and to try and get them to a place where they can do a deal for themselves. I always tell them that you know mediation is a voluntary process. Nobody's forcing them to be there and they can, can leave at any time. Um, but that, you know, as long as I think there's a, a point in continuing, I would hope that they would stay and work with me to get through the process. Another point that might be worth us talking about is actually, is mediation really voluntary? I've said it's a voluntary process, but you, I think you may have a take on this. Yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of things now in, t- in terms of the court process. Mediation isn't ordered and it, it is something that people do go into voluntarily and it's a process that they have to engage with fully. But there is sanctions for unreasonably refusing to engage in mediation. And I can't remember ever having a situation uh, where I've proposed mediation and the other side have said no or or vice versa for fear of how it might be seen by the court. So I think once mediation is on the table, it seeks to be a voluntary process really and it's effectively becomes mandatory. That said... It, it is it is a process that 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 is, that is beneficial and it is a process that I would recommend. So I'm quite glad that it's become a, a semi-mandatory step in along the way. It's certainly better than just marching through the the, the directions to trial. And we we tend to have these sort of you know meetings uh, with with the parties privately, and then information is exchanged and offers are exchanged and so on. Back in the day when I first started doing it, these were all in person. Um, but with um, certainly with with COVID and all the rest of it, there's been a, a significant growth in online mediations. Um, and I wondered, you know, have you got any experience of online? There's obviously different different psychology and different, different, different ways in which, in which you can play the mediation. I think there's no there's no right way or wrong way. And I think you have got to think about what's best for your client or the type of claim or the type type of case that it is. Uh, but there has there has been this this huge increase in online mediations obviously out of necessity firstly for the pandemic and then since then uh, i think there 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 has been a continuation of online mediations because people like them or it suited the type of the type of claim or that that they had or, or it suited suited their client I've had I've had good experiences of online mediation, so so I'm I'm actually quite in favour of it. Whether whether it's right for every single mediation, I suppose the jury's still out. There is a lot to be said, as as me and you've discussed on on many prior occasions where we've been talking about mediation. There is a lot to be said for getting the people in one place and working them through the process. And it is a process in the same way that litigation is a process in the sense that sometimes. How people see it at the start is not how they'll see it at the end. The mediation is is is, is somewhat litigation in the microcosm sometimes, in the sense that how they see it first thing in the morning is not how they see it last thing at night. It maybe doesn't focus them in the same way, and they're not they're not affected by the the whole process as much online as they would be in person. But I do find one of the great benefits of doing it online is that you tend to cut to the chase. There's less of the formalities, less of the small talk, less of the posturing or setting out your position like a lot of online meetings you're a lot more focused and you kind of get to the point as a mediator i think sometimes there is a real benefit in having everybody together in one place you know there's that dynamic that we're here together to do the deal to reach a settlement and to 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 work through this and the fact that you're in you know an environment that maybe isn't your normal environment 
hotel room or a solicitor's office or whatever you know sometimes that can have a bearing on you know how you're feeling and what um, and what the and I suppose, dynamic I suppose is it's a bit like that with the online as well because whether, whether you do the online say from from your living room is going to be different from whether you do the online from your solicitor's office or or, or wherever the case may be so if you're doing it in your living room it's easy to just say you know what i've had enough of this i'm logging off and this process is over and I don't feel like you've probably worked up to it the same as well. I mean, a lot of the benefit of, of mediation is, is you feel the weight of the case. Yeah. You feel the pressure of it. And that, bring, you know, that pressure comes to bear in terms of trying to reach a settlement. And I think, yeah, if you've, um, you've woke up and you've, you've logged on, you've sat there in your living room with a cup of tea and you know, probably your breakfast in front of you, you might not feel the full weight of the case, if, particularly if your solicitor or your barrister aren't sitting there with you, if they're, if they're sitting in a separate place uh, whilst you're all in technically one room in, in in the kind of online sense it's different when you're not physically in the same room that that said I, I remember doing an in-person mediation where we were in different locations which sounds a bit odd but uh, um, it was a, a farming case where um, I, I was acting for for one client this is, is acting as a litigator rather than as a mediator and there was a farmhouse and there was a, an, another house belonging to the farm down the drive. And uh, one party was in the farmhouse, my client, the other one was in the house down the drive and the mediators shuttled between us. Uh, it was partly logistics because there, there wasn't a space that was big enough for everyone. I was going to say, was it in. space or was it because they couldn't bear to be in the same house or they didn't want to give up they, home they, territory or they anything They weren't like that, that fond of each other, but uh, but but it was it was largely about, uh, about soundproofing and logistics that we could have done it potentially right. in the one place, but there wasn't a room where we wouldn't necessarily have heard what was going on so it was about making sure that confidentiality was there but my client was you know was sat in the farmhouse kitchen her farmhouse kitchen in the sort of comfortable space yeah. and everything and so we didn't quite have that sort of you know I'm, I'm, I'm in an airless hotel room and, and, and there's the pressure to settle in fact it comes to lunchtime and she was cooking lunch for her partner um, so we all had sausage and chips and blackcurrant pie it was the best mediation I've ever had in terms of the refreshments and we did do the deal so you know maybe it's the medium might not matter that much it's about what's right for that particular client it's funny you should mention the refreshments and stuff though and uh, and, and the comfort of the situation because the, the, there is often quite a lot of discussion about home advantage like you know you'll get your clients saying I'm doing it I'll do it in your office but I'm not doing it in their office and things like that as if as if there's some some advantage to be had from from, from doing it in a different building I and mean, sometimes I do think the venue does make a difference but when it comes to solicitors offices I think they're pretty neutral although you do hear stories anecdotally about there was air conditioning in one room, but not air conditioning in the other, and they, they let them sweat it out in one room, and and, and while 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 the other people sat in comfort, or yeah, again the refreshments and were, were brought a lot much more regularly in one room than they were brought in another, and things like that. So I've never experienced that, and how much that actually happens, I, I don't know. There's the odd occasion. I, I do remember when I was um, training as a mediator, and I was sort of shadowing, you know, more experienced mediators. I do remember one where we had that was in one party's office and um, and they'd got a really nice room for themselves and the client and the other side were in a glorified broom cupboard, you know, it was sort of old computer equipment sent there to die and, you know, th- th- this sort of stuff. And actually the mediator um, was very firm about it and said, look, this is just not acceptable. You know, if you want to use this room, then can I suggest that you and your client use it and you let the other party have the, you know, the other room because it will set the process back. So there is stuff that a good mediator can do to mitigate about, against those sort of games that, that some parties will potentially sometimes try and play. The soundproofing aspect of it is the one aspect that does sometimes 
sometimes worry me. I have been in mediations where it's been they've been in adjacent rooms, and sometimes you know you, you can have quite heated conversations in your own room and, and voices are raised and you steady they can hear this and sometimes and vice versa I've been able to hear stuff said in other rooms before and not not to the point where it's made any difference to it but you can you, you can hear them talking I've never ha- had that I have to say and, and uh, you know I do try and make sure that we have that discussion with the parties beforehand and we make sure and and if if we're in a hotel you know maybe sometimes we'll have three rooms one for the mediator and um, two for the parties and, and 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 as the mediator I'll have the one in the middle that mitigates against those those sound issues but yeah it's something that you need to be be aware of one of the key things about mediation is the aspect of confidentiality and confidentiality works on two levels within a mediation so firstly anything that's said in the mediation can't be referred to in court if the dispute doesn't settle it means that there's a safe environment within which the parties are free to discuss things and and that's called um, without prejudice discussions effectively but secondly on a sort of deeper level I guess the private sessions that each party has with the mediator are just that the mediator won't disclose to the other party anything he learns in a private session unless he's authorized to do so and as a mediator I will often ask you know can I reveal this information because I think it would be really useful if the other side knew that and if they give me that permission then that's great I will reveal that information Um, and if they don't I won't so you know, one of the things for me as a mediator that's attractive about that is it means that the parties are free to be entirely open with me. Certainly from my perspective, you have to kind of get the right balance with that. I mean, I, I, I tend to think of it as that you've got not, not so much two opponents, but, but you've, got, you've got two different considerations when you go into the mediation. So you, you have got your literal opponent in the other room, but the mediator, as someone who is going to go between the, the rooms and relay your position to them, you want them to relay it in the way that you want. And that's not just the literal words that they use, but it's it's the way in which they relay it. And I think whether they whether they mean to or not, I think you can subtly influence the, the, the mediator. Now, I know that mediators are, are well-trained and, and to a certain <laughs> extent are, are, are you know, uh, take into account body language and the like in, as part of their training and, 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 and verbal cues and, and, and those sorts of things. And so we probably do have some awareness of this. And also, I think, as you've said, you, you have you have at some point got to be, I think, honest with them, when, when, you know, particularly when you get to the crunch. But it's, it's about releasing it in the right way at the right time, I think. And I think you almost have to treat the mediator not not as the opponent because I think at some point they become a great sounding board and they can they can become your best ally and I mean that that's what they're there for at the end of the day but I think you don't want to go too early and and, uh, and almost kind of set out all your all the deficiencies in your case because you don't want them to kind of think that your case is weak or certainly weaker than you think it is and give that you know tip off the other side to that in, in, even in an unintentional subconscious way so, so I, yeah, I, I tend to be a little bit reserved with the with the mediator, particularly early doors. Um, and then as, as, as it develops and I've got a bit more rapport with the mediator and I feel like I can get a bit more of a read on him and also a read on how, how the mediation's going, I think at that point then I'll probably start to open up a little bit more and maybe that's when you can get the most out of the mediator. But I also think that that, that enables me to have my message really in the best way and maybe hopefully get the best result yeah I get why you say that and you know I understand that you don't want to give too much away too early but I do think that sometimes and I'm not accusing you of this (laughs) because I know you wouldn't do this at all but uh, but you know I I have had people where I've been mediating and the solicitor or the, the barrister for one party is just grandstanding you know and you know come on this is for show this is for your client you're just trying to present a tough front for your client 
I'm not a judge, you know, I'm not somebody you have to convince here. And actually, once I've explained to you where I see the risk areas, and you're not just taking, you're seemingly not taking any of that on board. And you're just saying, you know, I know we're going to win on this point. Well, you know, if you're that confident about your case, why are you here? You know, you may as well just just go to trial. And I think sometimes it can it can just slow things up if there if there's no sort of recognition that yeah you know clearly we have some elements of risk here and yes this process is about buying off that risk and let's let's get real and let's get sensible about this yeah i, mean, I think i think i think as you say it's about finding the right balance because I'm the, I'm the last person that wants to slow it up i mean one of my main criticisms of mediation was always it's a very long worn out process where you're worn down by the mediator and eventually <laughs> when your when your powers of resistance are, are somewhat diminished then settlement discussions open and everyone is much more pliable to to making a deal because they're hungry, they're tired, whatever. I'm not for slowing the process down, but I do think you've got to kind of you've got to, you've got to find the balance a little bit. And I think I think it is about having the rapport with the mediator and, and, and you know, being 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 square with the mediator, uh, but at the same time probably just not not revealing too much too early and just kind of getting a sense of them. And because I think I do I do think you're right. At the end of the day, you have got to be open with the mediator to get the most out of the mediator. Um, but I think it's just about doing it at the right time. I think there is a lot, a lot of, a lot of mediation. I think is about timing. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and 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 I think the ones that have worked best, um, looking back, you know, are ones where maybe you know the solicitor um, who's who's representing the client will be you know putting it forward his client's case. I'll be doing the reality testing and stuff. I'll go away. We will make progress, um, and then later on, when it's all over, you know, I, the solicitor will sort of say to me, "Oh, you know, I, I'm glad you you said what you did. You know, I, I've been trying to convince the clients of this, and actually, for them to hear it from you as well, independently, you know, I've been working on them when you've not been with me, just trying to convince them that there's an element of risk here. And that's definitely one of the main benefits of mediation, as opposed to other similar methods of settlement like roundtable yeah roundtable meetings and whatnot having having the uh, having having the mediator there as a as a as an outside independent voice they don't just help to facilitate the settlement but they do also help your client you know, to, to have a reality check as as, 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 me, as mediators are fond of calling it in the sense that sometimes they can push back against the the advocate and say you, you're overestimating this but sometimes they can give the client a reality check and say you know listen to your advocate here he's a you know he, he's not he's not trying to sell your case short he's not just uh, he's not he's not going against you he, he's trying to help you and there's you know there's something to be said for what he's what he's what he's advising you we've discussed this in the past that actually very often those clients that you know, are seemingly blind to the risks and, and, and won't, on the face of it, listen to what's being said. It's usually because they're so emotionally invested or there's, you know, there's there's so much sort of background, so much baggage to, to this dispute that they're finding it hard to let go. I think that, I mean, that's definitely the big stumbling block. I mean, I think there's a lot of it as well depends on the timing within the process at which the mediation takes place. But I think that the longer it goes on, uh, the more money that has been spent, the more they can become fixated on a particular outcome and feel that they've they've gone too far and they've got too much to lose now to give anything. Often the advocate is trying to explain to them that they're looking at it the wrong way around. He's, he's putting it in context of where they are and where they could be and the various risks involved now of going to trial and the extra costs involved of going to trial and so on and so forth. Uh, you've got you've got to. You've got to step back from 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 that emotion. You've got to you've got to, you've got to look at where you are, not 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 at where you wish you were or, or where you might have been, uh, and you've got to, you've got to assess it in in that context. Um, and I think it becomes easier for clients in general to let go when when they're presented. I think with the range of alternatives, not just the worst case scenario. You know, they they want to know yeah. where it could be as well yeah, in terms sure. of the best case scenario. 
but but sometimes they need to see where what what the outcome that they're maybe fixated on or have got got an emotional connection to where that sits within the range and sometimes it sits outside of the range yeah yeah this is your best and this is your worst and what you're talking about is right at the top end of best or or even beyond the best sometimes and so if we're going to do something today you've got you've you've got to recognize that this is where they're looking at it from and this is where you actually are and, and you've got to be a bit more realistic about it the mediator can be really helpful in in helping to relay that i think one thing that mediator can usefully do as well there is, is to help the parties to envisage a future where this dispute doesn't exist anymore you know just to think right okay you've, you've been living this for the last two three five years you know whatever it is uh, and actually one benefit to settling this today is that you put it all behind you and that you can you know imagine what you can do with all the time that you will have that you no longer have to concentrate on this dispute the money that you're not going to have to spend on 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 litigating this you know actually could you what what else could you do with that um just imagining a world where this dispute is behind them and i think you know as part of that sort of that process to 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 getting towards a settlement that can be a powerful message as well sometimes we've spoke about this in the past when we, when we spoke about cases and you, you you'll regularly hear a client say that they couldn't sleep the night before mediation, or they, you know, they've, they've been, in, they've, they've, they've really felt the stress of it leading up to mediation. But then, when they're in the mediation, they they take quite a, a rigid position. Uh, and yeah, whilst whilst you're not trying to manipulate them or or or, or, or paint a picture that isn't correct, you have to say to them, well, you know, if, if 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 the stress of it now is is this bad imagine what it's going to be like at trial because by this time you've you've spent a lot more money there's a lot more riding on it you're totally in someone else's hands by now at least at the mediation you've got a certain amount of control as to as to how it ends in a trial it's, it's somewhat of a lottery uh, so the stress will be tenfold to what it is now and again it's always looking about it's not it's not where you wish you were it's where you are and and, and where you could be and comparing those things and so yeah sometimes yeah, they don't want to hear it from the solicitor as much. I mean, I, I, again, I said to you before, uh, familiarity breeds contempt a little bit in the sense that, that you know, if, if, you, if you've been speaking to someone for three, four years about the same case, often giving them difficult news, they get they, they can sometimes be sick of hearing you. Uh, uh, but hearing it from hearing it from someone else, sometimes it hits home. You mentioned that timing, you know, can be quite crucial. Is there a perfect time for mediation in your view? Well, no, because I don't think there's, a, there's 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 not a perfect time for mediation in the same way that there's not a perfect methodology of mediation. I think what you've got to do as the advocate, and I think to a certain extent, what the mediator's got to do as well within the mediation, is is assess what's the what's what's the perfect thing for this claim, for this client, for this scenario. So yeah, there, there might there might be cases where there's a benefit to doing the mediation early. There might be cases where there's a benefit to doing it late, and you know, that that can take that can take all manner of things in terms of the witnesses or the evidence involved or your financial resources or whether there's going to be expert evidence and what that expert evidence might look like and all all, all manner of things and so I don't think there's a I don't think there's a perfect time what I will say is that it's a very different process if you do it early than if you do it late if you do it early in the process there's, there's a lot more of a hypothetical assessment as, as to what the the outcome might be because you're dealing with a lot less actual solid concrete information so you're trying to assess the merits based on lots of ifs and buts. I always used to say that litigation is like a journey from darkness into light. So when the <laughs> yeah. client first comes in, you know, actually you know nothing about the case and, and, and every step that you take along the road, you learn a little bit more. And then, you know, when you get to trial, you learn as, as much as you'll, you'll, you'll ever know about a case. 
And I guess it's, you know, if you're trying to assess it before then, there are going to be uncertainties. You won't have seen the other side's witness statements. You won't have got expert evidence. You won't have seen all of their documents or whatever. And it's a question of actually how crucial are those things for me to form a view about the case? How much risk is there for us? And are we better off buying off that risk now or spending further costs and getting that information? Yeah, and it, it might help our case, yeah. but it actually might make it rather more difficult for us. So yeah, it's, it's, it's finding that balance. There's a lot of that in litigation generally. That litigation is quite often a balancing act. There's no there's no one path through it and there's no right way or wrong way. You're just balancing factors all the time. And even when you've got a plan, your plan might change because different bits of information come to light. But also you've got an opponent who's hell-bent on trying to disrupt your plan and do the exact opposite and achieve the exact opposite that you are. So you're having to to react to that. So you're always balancing factors. And I think mediation falls within that as well in terms of it just becomes another another consideration is to ideally you are going to want to play the mediation card at some point but when do you want to play it and uh, to, to get the maximum for your client uh, or, or, or equally for different reasons like when your opponent is say most exposed you know where, where, where they're in a difficult spot I would say that there's no case that can't be mediated or, or there are very few cases where mediation is not suitable do you think there are particular types of case that lend themselves particularly well to mediation I would agree with you as well just particularly to say that there's no case that can't be mediated in the sense that um, everything is capable of reaching a resolution uh, certain clients or certain scenarios might make it more difficult but I think particularly if you've got a case where you're talking about a remedy that the court can't order or, or award that's they're, they're the ones where I think mediation really come into their own in the sense that mediation is still very good for for monetary disputes where it's about moving money from one room to the next and you it can still can still help for, to facilitate that process and you can still spend a lot of time arguing about that for a variety of reasons but often uh, and you, you, I, think, I think this happens more often than, than, than you'd think the proceedings aren't necessarily the full story or are a not so much a sham but there's, there's a lot more going on in terms of the relationship there are between the parties other issues and, and the media the, the litigation is kind of the bit of the iceberg that's above the water yeah. kind of thing yeah. and sometimes that's because the litigation is the only thing that's available to them yeah. in the sense that the, the, there is no, there is no cause of action for what it is they want uh, and so they, they have to bring that they have to bring that litigation as a, as a lever to try and bring that to bear in that scenario they're never going to get what they want to go to, by by going to trial and so the way to crack the the proceedings is to uh, is, is to go go to mediation and see if something can be done around that sort of solution if it can be so one of my favorite mediations ever was uh, a case involving a hill farm where there was an old guy who had the farm who died and his family were trying to sell the land but there was uh, a, another chap who was occupying the land claiming that he'd got a, a tenancy of it and if it had gone to trial it was does he have a tenancy and yes if so he keeps all of the land um, on the terms of the tenancy does he not have a tenancy in which case they, they get to sell it and he loses everything and we actually settled the mediation because he wasn't so fussed about the uh, all of the land itself. But what he was keen to do was to have a route to the mountain from his farm to the to the common land at the top that he was allowed to graze without crossing anyone else's land. And what we were able to achieve was that he had a little strip of land at one end conveyed to him to give him his route to the mountain. So he got what he really needed out of it. And the, um, the estate got to sell the vast majority of the land. And this little strip that was uh, conveyed off was was 
practically worthless so everybody won um, the win-win solution that, uh, that <laughs> the holy grail the, the holy grail of mediation absolutely yeah. and and so sometimes it can happen that way i mean i think other cases that work well that i've seen in mediation are those sorts of cases like proprietary estoppel cases so to to kind of avoid the jargon a case where somebody's had a promise that land will be given to them uh, in certain circumstances they've relied on that promise and uh, and then somebody has has tried to move the goalposts um, and they argue that they're bound by that promise now in those cases you know if you win uh, technically you establish that you've got some kind of right then the judge has a wide discretion about how to how to fulfill that right and give you you know give, give you uh, what what you need to make it fair because of that discretion i guess there's a, a range of different options that are open to the court even if the claimant wins and so there's an element of uncertainty there and so buying off that uncertainty by crafting your own solution rather than having something imposed on you is uh, is very useful again i'd echo that and i think yeah, a lot a lot of the mediations i do have got a kind of an agricultural aspect in, in, in proprietary estoppel is where you see well what certainly where i see the most uh, so agriculture is where i see the most sort of proprietary estoppel yeah. type cases yeah. uh, and i think where mediation does come into its own is where there is that uh, th- that emotional aspect to it as well, or there's there's you know, there's often which which you get in in, in farming disputes because there's not normally a family element. Some people feel like they've been they've been wronged in a certain way, or yeah. it, it, it's 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 about elements of yeah, the family life and, and and things like that. Which so even though it can maybe a, be it can be a commercial dispute or a land dispute, there's there's, there's that sort of family or or emotional aspect to it, and I think. Yeah, as, as I've said before, mediation is good for sorting out money disputes. But I think where there's something else at play, or there's you know there's there's these emotional aspects. I think that's where it really comes into its own. You got any thoughts about the um, the team that you need for for the mediation? So you know, actually, a lot of uh, a lot of mediations take place with just a solicitor, but quite a lot have a barrister as well. Um, what's your take on that? I do I do with or without barristers. I mean, I do quite like having a barrister. I think where there's where there is a very technical settlement on the cards so if it's if it's going to involve very technical drafting on, on very specific and technical points of law I think it's quite good to have two lawyers there the main reason for that is ultimately you've you've probably been sitting in a room for 10 or 12 hours arguing about it uh, it's late at night you, you're under a certain amount of pressure sometimes to get out of the building and I think if you're drafting a complex settlement under those circumstances you know, it's easy to make a mistake and so I think it's quite good having two people there to to sense check each other and just to, to make sure that, that there's no errors it's it's to go through the what ifs i think a yeah, lot of the time so it's, yeah it's you know have i covered all of the issues yeah, yeah. I do think it's it's decent having a barrister there for that. Also, overall, I think it is quite good as well. As I say, having you know, having a different perspective, two heads are better than one. I mean, a lot of settlement at the end of the day is is judgment calls, it's assessments of risk, it's thinking about hypotheticals with regards to the evidence or how a judge might see it. And so, having a different person's take on it is is useful. And going back to what you were saying before about the mediator is is a different voice for the client. It's the same with the barrister. The barrister is a different voice for the client. So uh, if you've been trying to give the client a particular message, sometimes um, hearing it from the barrister just, just help to get that message across. There's also other third parties that you might class as part of the team if, if, if the matter is insurance funded or if there's a particular decision makers. I mean, I think on the insurance funded one, it's more of a logistical issue rather than anything else. I mean, the insurers will never want to actually be at the mediation but they'll want to know what's going on because they'll have to approve any settlements both in and out 
and so I think it's about just making sure you've 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 done as much as you can to ensure you've got a particular caseworker who's going to be on the on the line. Yeah, that can be tricky because they're they're not there. They haven't heard you know what's gone on during the day, but generally you know my experience of uh, of mediations involving an insurer on the phone is that they tend to take a pretty commercial view i think the ones that are a, a bit more difficult if there's somebody else um who who kind of pulls the strings a little yeah. so somebody else within the company maybe that sent a representative to do the negotiation but actually they've only got authority up to a certain level and then they've got to go back to the board or you know whatever those can be a little bit more problematic in fact i think that can be really problematic and it's something that i always try to avoid because i i've been on the other side of it where there hasn't been the the appropriate decision maker in the other side's team and i i always try and ensure one that i've got my own decision maker there and two that the other side have got their decision maker there. and to be fair to mediators they always try and ensure that's the case as well but you do sometimes fall foul of it albeit less these days i think and it's, i think it's one of those because mediation has become a lot more commonplace it's, it's it's one of those kind of like one of those early mistakes in the early days of mediation which you used to see but i think as as has been eradicated now to a large extent. I think you're probably right. I see it less now than I did a few years ago, maybe. Yeah. We talked a lot about how to use mediation and when it works well and, and so on. We've all had mediations that haven't worked and, and haven't resulted in a settlement. What would you say is the is the biggest single reason why, you know, a mediation doesn't actually settle the case? It's difficult to say what, what's the biggest reason why, why one doesn't settle. I think Obviously, parties have got to go there with the right mindset. So at the end of the day, they've got to be there to settle and to try and reach a settlement. And I think for, for a lot of the reasons that we've touched on already, there might be there might be uh, either your client or, or the opponent that doesn't want to doesn't want to adjust their position for whatever reason. Now, there's lots of ways in which you can try and ensure this doesn't happen ahead of time. Obviously, it's important to be you know, to, to be properly prepared for the mediation. It's important to have the right people at the mediation. It's important to have thought about all the issues and have your client in, in the right mindset and, and hopefully have, 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 have the right team and, and, and have, everything, have everything in place. So I don't think there's any particular reason you know, in terms of what's the biggest reason why I want to say I think I think it's never it's often never really just one thing anyway it's often a combination of things but I do think you've got to be properly prepared for the mediation and there's a lot of aspects to that preparation yeah, so yeah, is, but, 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 yeah but but yeah I think that's that's right I mean for me you know preparation is key it's that old Benjamin Franklin thing isn't it by failing to prepare you're preparing to fail and you know the number of mediations I've had where you think the other side just haven't had uh, or one side or another haven't had a proper handle on you know on a particular aspect of their case or whatever and uh, and then you know we can't make progress because they, they just don't understand maybe what the issues are or new issues come to light in the mediation that haven't been raised before that the you know the one party then hasn't had an opportunity to explore with their client part of the reason why poor preparation can be you know can be a big factor to, to failure is that Preparation is such a broad church in this in this scenario. It, can, it does involve lots of different things. I mean, logistically, you're dealing with quite a lot. You're trying to organise a venue, organise a client, organise the barrister, organise the mediator, and you've got the mediation agreement. You've got all that sort of stuff that's all coming together, and you've got the bundle and the position statement and all those things. So you've got, so you are you, you're carrying out quite a few different administrative steps, but at the same time, you you, you know you need you need to be thinking about the things that are going to ensure success on the day so you you, you are thinking about you know, what 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 does the evidence look like what evidence do i need when you know is everything gone across to the other side is there anything i need from the other side and 
uh, you know, I've, I've, I've a properly assessed settlement and what, what else do I need if I haven't, if I haven't properly carried out that assessment yet to enable me to carry out that proper assessment. And so it, there is there is quite a lot that goes on in terms of preparation. I think part of it may be that not everyone necessarily turns their mind to the full amount of all of it. And, and you know, everyone, well, not everyone, you know, a lot of solicitors are busy. And you know, sometimes you think, I'll just do the essentials for the mediation and we'll figure it out on the day. I say sometimes you think, I, I don't think that, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but uh, I've had the feeling sometimes when I've had other people on the other side that they've done the bundle they've got everyone there now we'll see what happens when we're here and it's like well that's not really enough and they're the ones that tend to ambush you on the day they either they'll either kind of hit you with this new issue and and have nothing to support it or even worse you might say is uh, they'll hit you with a new issue and have a load of stuff to support it and it's like yeah we've been litigating this for two years and you're giving me all this now and what, what, what you know what's going on I think sometimes, you know, actually, yes, you, you can't necessarily settle in those circumstances where, you, you know, the there's 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 new issues, there's new new documents that you know somebody hasn't had a chance to look at, and they won't want to be ambushed and and so on. And I think one of the key things for the mediator there is that actually, can we use the time if if we're not, if there's no way we're going to settle this today, can we use the time to move the process forward in some way? I mean, I had one uh, mediation a couple of years ago where it was clear that the parties weren't going to settle because their views uh, on the issues were, were just so far apart and there was no budging either of them. Um, and the key thing to unlock that was going to be what the expert evidence was going to say. And so actually what we were able to do is to use that mediation process to agree um, the parameters for instructing an expert. So they were going to instruct one joint expert um, and we agreed, you know, what the expert was going to look at and what evidence they were going to have in advance and so on um, with a view to then, okay, getting that evidence and then potentially the parties either having settlement discussions themselves once that's, uh, that that step had, had taken place wasn't necessarily going to cost a massive amount or take an awful lot of time. Um, but then they were going to be much better informed as to their risks to take a view on the things that were separating them. And either, you know, they, they have settlement discussions or a further mediation at that point and we, we get everybody back. I think that's one of the beauties of mediation as well, to be fair, because whilst it has got a very a very good track record of settlement and the vast majority of mediations do, do arrive in settlement, I think even if it doesn't, result in settlement there's no such thing as a wasted mediation in the sense that you can always get something out of the day so as you've said in there you can you can use that time to to agree directions or to to set out a roadmap going forward or you can look to at least narrow some of the issues and take them off the table or even if you can't make any progress with your other side if you've got the barrister there with you for example you've got a you have an unofficial conference with the with, with, with council which lasts all day and you can you can explore all manner of different issues in that time and with all the will in the world you, you never have as much exposure to your client and to counsel as you, as you do in a mediation yeah. setting so you and the barrister might be discussing different issues from a legal perspective and there might be you know there might there might be a factual issue which springs up and your client's right there yeah. equally you might be talking about something from your client which he which he tells you about or she, he, she tells you about for the first time and you and the barrister can discuss that there and then and think, think about how that fits into the overall strategy or overall view on prospects or merits or whatever so there's still always to be gained from the day. It is an expensive process and it is, it is quite an outlay, but I don't think 
there's never been a mediation where you wouldn't get anything out of it whatsoever. I think you can always take something from it, and I think that's one of the you know, what, one of the great strengths of it. I think that's a really positive place to end. Actually, <laughs> that uh, you know, there's no such thing as a wasted mediation. You could always get something out of it if you approach it with the right attitude, and you've done your preparation and make full opportunity of what the day presents. Make full use of the mediator. Thanks to Brian and Andy for lending their expertise. Yet more proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. That's lblaw.co.uk. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialist for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. And don't forget to go back and check out some of the shows from the other seasons. Speak to you soon. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.